0: I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor, and welcome back to another episode of the Celtics Pod, part of the Celtics Blog podcast feed. As usual, I'm your boy Adam Taylor. I'm, you know, we're I'm kind of living, I'm surviving, definitely surviving. Still rarely leaving my house. That's uh. I don't want to leave my house. I've got to the point now where the outdoors just seems scary to me. And I'm just like, no, I do not want to be out in the open. There's too many people. I've been in a room with just me, myself and I for over a year now. And I'm enjoying it. I want to keep it that way. I want to see how long I can keep this streak going. We're going to be talking some trades today. We're going to be talking about what the possible options are that you can do with Kemba Walker and all the different scenarios that come with that. Now, whenever I'm going to talk trades, there's a guy who I know that loves to talk trades. He lives for it. He breathes for it. I think it's pretty much what he waits for all year round in the NBA calendar. You guys know him. Um, If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you will know him. His name's Tim Shields. He's currently doing some stuff over with CLNS, but he's joining me today.
1: So we can just dive a bit deeper into this Kemba Walker conundrum. What is going on, Tim? Nothing much, man. Just uh trying to keep it cool it's been It's been sweltering lately in mass, so just trying to stay cool, looking forward to the off season. Uh, a lot of question marks, of course, around the team, so eager to dive in. I mean, this is like your dream, right? Like
0: big trade scenarios. It's pretty much what's ravaging the Celtics fan base outside of the
1: coaching discussions. This is like your perfect off season, right? Yes and no, right? Because usually when there's trade talks, uh, the Celtics usually will hold most of the cards here. But right now, with the Kemba Walker situation and that contract, um, they're in a bit more of a bind than I would want them to be. So, it, you know, there's obviously going to be rumors and stuff, and that's where that's where the fun comes in. But I, I kind of wish Boston had a little bit more flexibility in terms of assets. So this isn't your dream? <laughs> my no, my dream situation is that everything works out perfectly fine, and the roster was a okay, and they just got beat by a good team. But that's not the case. Um, you know, we've had some underwhelming performance from some guys. Uh, Brad Stevens, even before that move to uh, basketball operations president, like that's even before then, he was talking about issues with the roster and saying, you know, we've got to be better, we've got to improve, and giving that overall tone of we need to go ahead and take a long, hard look at our roster. Now, I mean, there's already Kemba Walker rumors flying around. So the question is, then let's jump into this. Does
0: I see as two realistic scenarios with Kemba Walker? You have the scenario where you just try and get off that contract and take as little back as possible and just ho- and try and operate with a bit, a bit more cap flexibility. Now, obviously, this would be where Keith Smith comes in. Make sure you're reading his stuff because he will tell you just to, uh, how much flexibility actually comes with doing that. Uh, if we told you we'd be lying you know it's okay not to know the answer to things as long as you admit you don't know um, and I don't know but it would give you an additional bit of flexibility and then the other option you've got is to move on from Campbell Walker and take something back in return whether that be a similar contract or some bad salary or maybe you have to give up a couple of young pieces and get back like some draft assets in return which is essentially giving him up for nothing. But You know, there's there's ways to move on from Kemba. And I remember listening to the Dunker spot earlier um, over the weekend uh, with Nikias Dunker, and they were like, and I agree with them, they were like, no matter what contract it is, no matter what player it is with that contract, you can always find a way to move it if you're willing to put the necessary assets alongside that contract to make it appealing to another team.
1: I think that's big. And, And mainly when I think about those kind of trades and immovable contracts, I think they kind of broke the mold, the NBA as a whole. When we saw John Wall and Russell Westbrook get moved and Chris Paul get moved with the money that they were making, it it seems a lot more feasible now, right? Like, you're able to go ahead and attach assets to a player and make a deal happen. It's just a question of what you're willing to take on in return. You You know, one of the big rumors is people are, you know, either torn apart over or indifferent to is that Mavs rumor. Of Chris Christophe Porzingis for Kemba Walker. Um, personally, I don't like that idea.
0: So let's don't, let's jump straight into that one then. Seems you've brought it up so nice and uh, a perfect segue. Let's jump into that because I'm curious about this deal. Personally, I don't like it. I think that you're trading one injury-prone guy for another. But you're saying, hey, take our injury-prone guy that is renowned in the league for being one of the best locker room dudes. And you have him, and in return, you give us this guy that is like has become a pretty much a prim, prima donna and forced his way out of New York. Now he's not happy. He's the second star behind Doncic. He hasn't really been performing to the levels we saw early in his career. So we'll just take him, and what we'll do is we'll say, hey, we've spent the last two years trying to build a good locker room culture. We're just going to burn that to the ground because we want Chris Stapp's poor Zingas. I don't understand... From that perspective, why the Celtics would up to do that in terms of a personality um, kind of, kind of mesh? Like, if you're not happy playing second star to Luka Doncic, how are you going to cope being the third star to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum? From a playing aspect, having him as the as a stretch five really really make like it intrigues me massively.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a matter of fit. I think it's a matter of health and, like you said, personality. I think. There cannot be an understatement with how important Kemba Walker's like been to that locker room. The The entire chemistry was off when all of that stuff went down with Kyrie Irving's departure and Al Horford's departure. You brought in Kemba Walker to be a positive influence as well as just kind of steady that locker room. And he was the best player available at a position of need that immediately became open with Irving's departure. So... That was important for the Celtics at the time, and I think that they've done a good job of trying to build chemistry. It, it like this past season, the failures there—they're not because there's locker room issues. There's not ke- issues with chemistry there. It's a matter of talent. So why would you go ahead and add a guy who is injury prone and had issues playing with Luka Doncic, who's one of the most exciting stars to play with? Like he's one of the best players in the league right now, and especially after that playoff performance, you know, he went seven games against the Clippers. There's a lot to like there for Dallas, but Porzingis to not be happy there. Like, I don't, yeah, I agree. I don't get how that changes in Boston unless you're just turning him into a stretch five and like, I don't know, making him spot up for threes. But again, you're going to run him at the four. You're going to run him at the five. If he's a stretch five, then you you need more out of him and he needs to play consistently. And if you're having issues with consistency in play with Kimba Walker, how does that improve with Kristaps Porzingis? So the big thing for me was like, I was watching that game
0: seven. I've watched, I probably watched three, no, four of that seven game series. Um, what I will say is in that game seven, and I tweeted about this and it frustrated the life out of me. There was multiple times where Chris Stapps got the ball within the flow of the offense. He wasn't hunting for it, like drove a close out and then just pulled up from like, I don't know, two, three feet outside of the key. And I'm like, dude, you're seven foot two. You do not settle for a pull-up jumper that close to the rim. You've you've beat the closeout. You're now driving. You're forcing a defensive collapse. Two options. Go strong for the dunk. Draw a foul. Or draw that defense in a little bit more. And you're that big. You should be able to see over, especially against the Clippers team that were going small. Just make that secondary read. Find somebody else that's cutting. Hit that three-point guy in the corner. Make a play. And... To settle for a jump shot, to me, that's just being disengaged within with the team, disengaged with the franchise, because you're not playing at a level that necessitates the, the contract you're getting, that necessitates the... You're in the playoffs, you know, and you're the secondary star on a playoff team that's in a game seven. If you're not playing high IQ basketball and using every advantage your skill set gives you and your physical attributes give you, you're not worth that valuable contract. And my issue is... If you cannot be like, if you're settling for those soft jump shots, then you're a soft player. And the Celtics do not need another player that's going to get labelled soft. That was where my biggest concern came here. Don't get me wrong. The three point shooting, the size, the rebounding ability, or the theoretical rebounding ability, it all sounds great on paper. But what we've seen is Paul Porzingis on paper rarely translates to on the hardwood.
1: Yeah, and I think with that contract, like you said especially after everything that happened with the Knicks, um, off-court allegations, and then having him go to Dallas, get a play alongside Luka, and not being able to make it work, that doesn't give me any kind of confidence that he would somehow pan out in Boston. I think his overall fit in terms of his playing style, like shooting threes, being that stretch five, being able to rebound, being a bigger guy who can move pretty well with the ball, like, yeah, that's crucial for Boston's offense to operate to what it needs to be. But you don't need an injury-prone guy who's getting 30-some-odd mil a year, and he's got a longer deal than Keba Walker. He's got one additional year, and you are concerned about effort. Like, if he comes to Boston and things are going well for a week or two, and then, you know, his shots, you know, s- stop falling, or, you know, guys stop trying to find him within the flow of the offense, or there are other issues outside of that and he turns off, he disengages, like you said, he shuts down. All of a sudden, you've got this guy who's just basically dead weight. I mean, it doesn't solve the issue. I feel like it, it's a lateral move at best, and at worst, it's a step in the wrong direction. So, yeah, I count me on on Kristaps Porzingis. I, I see, don't like the idea of it. For me, like, I und-
0: and the Celtics have been a very big perpetrator of this themselves as a complete roster this year. If a play isn't being called for you, if you are not part of that play, then that is fine, but you still have a responsibility to make yourself available should that play break down. Cut, move, you know, come off a screen and flare, and then cut back to where you came from if you need to. Take a couple of steps inside that three-point line, get a defender to bite on you, and then change your burst of pace and create some separation. So if somebody like Doncic does get closed down, which he's going to, and as, assuming that, you know, Jason Tatum's that guy in this scenario, Tatum is more likely to facilitate than Dancic, I believe. And if you're making that those adjustments on the fly and making sure your movement is creating space and separation you're going to be more valuable, you're going to get more touches and more points, just because you're available when a play breaks down, and you don't see that from pausing. Because he very much strikes me as a if I don't have the ball in my hands, I'm going to stand here with my hands out and call for the ball, and if it doesn't come my way, then fine. I saw a couple of off-ball cuts, he had that one, I think it was in the second quarter, he drove middle, a real nice drive, caught the ball around the, the halfway line and then got a dunk, and that was straight after he attacked the closeout and come up with that soft two, and That was cool, but you only saw it once or twice through the game. You need to see that consistently for Kristaps Porzingis to be a viable second or third option. He needs to embrace that type of movement. And I just don't think he's durable enough to do that over an 82-game season plus the playoffs. So I'm out. I think that it makes sense financially. On paper, it makes sense. But in practicality, I think there's a lot of question marks, a lot of red flags about the way he approaches the game, the way he applies himself on the floor and the locker room issues that just make me very skeptical about any possibility of that being a good move.
1: Yeah. And I don't think in terms of what you're trying to do as a team, you're still going to be looking at a point guard. If you're trying to add offense, you're trying to add shooters. Yeah. He can shoot the three ball. But again, if you're trying to build around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, you need guys who are going to complement them and are going to buy into their roles, you know, whatever that might be. And if that's a third option role, and like you said doesn't accept that kind of situation then it it, it doesn't matter what the money says you know you need to be able to build a culture you need to be able to build a team and you need guys to buy into those roles and being engaged especially for the celtics was a reason why that they underperformed like their defense wasn't there and on offense you need to be able to move without the ball they need off ball movement and yeah i think it's too much of a dice roll but In terms of the other teams that have cap space, you know, we talked about it a little bit before we got on. Um, You know, you have the Oklahoma city thunder, the New York Knicks have a lot of cap space in terms of practical cap space Um, spurs as well, as well as the Raptors. Are there, are there any potential deals that you look at in those situations? Like, I think the most obvious
0: one we jump in straight away is an Al Horford return for Kemba Walker. Mm -hmm. I think that, you have to sweeten that deal for Oklahoma, because if I remember, Kemba has an extra year on that contract over Al, so they're going to be committing an extra thirty-seven million. I think it is in that final year of Kemba's suit, which I think it's safe to assume he's going to opt into that, because he's he's not like he's not in a situation like Gordon Hayward was where there's going to be other teams that see value in him. He's going to be a very decreased value player after this contract. So I think it's safe to assume Kemba ups in. But, you know, a Kemba Walker plus a future first, like protected first or um, a second round pick or two seconds plus Kemba for Horford back, there's a possibility that Oklahoma do that. I understand that Oklahoma don't really need the draft capital, but they might they might look at it the same way they looked at the Chris Paul deal, where it's another mentor for Shea, um, Shea Georgis-Alexander, another guy that can Shea can kind of learn from, run Shea at the two, or run Kemba as a two guard off of Shea, and ask Shea to be the creator for Kemba to be a play finisher. I think that that helps Kemba in terms of um, shooting rhythm as well. You know, at the moment, Kemba's playing as a third option, bumping him up to the second, he might be more valuable. So they might see the value there, bringing another consummate professional into that locker room, um, letting Al Horford come back to Boston where he's going to get some playing time and Boston can utilize him as their primary playmaker, as we've seen before. And it gives Kemba Walker an opportunity to help one of the better young guards in the league continue to develop. So I think there's a possibility there. Now the question is,
1: one, what do you think? And then two, how
0: do you see that working for the Celtics?
1: So I very much love Al Horford. Uh, it broke my heart to see him sign with the 76ers, and it hurt me even more to see him struggle and then them to just dump his contract. Um, looking at it from a numbers perspective, uh, you are right on the nose with that contract. Al Horford's under contract until uh, 22, 2023. Um. So he he'll hit free agency in 2023, and his cap hit actually will be a lot less than Kemba Walker's in uh, declines. So for 2021-22 season, you're looking at 27 million, and then that's dropping by 500,000 uh, before he hits free agency. Uh, Kemba Walker's deal is just as long, however, his will be going up. Right now, he's got a cap hit of about 34.3 mil, and then that's going to jump all the way up to 36 for next season. And then 37 is the uh, final year of the deal, almost 38 million. And then that's going to be a player option. And like you said, Kevin Walker is absolutely going to opt into that. That's a ton of money. Um, There's no reason why he wouldn't, especially if he has concerns about his own health in terms of a fit for Boston. I mean, it would be great to have Al Horford back, you know, that center position gets a lot more solid. Um, potentially if Brad Stevens decides to hire a coach who's willing to experiment more maybe you go back to that double big lineup I don't know how well that would work but I think it works a little bit better with Al Horford because of his passing ability his ability to shoot the three Um, I think you're bringing in another solid player to be in the locker room I mean he's always been a consummate professional nothing bad has ever really come out about Al Horford in terms of him being a bad teammate or anything like that so it helps build that chemistry. He's a guy who's familiar with the system, familiar with um, the demand to play in Boston, that kind of, you know, the pressure of playing in Boston as a sports city and the media that comes with that. I think there's a lot of comfort there. There's a lot of common ground. And I think the Thunder, yeah, like as you said, they're going to build up a lot of capital. And who knows when they're eventually going to cash in on this. Maybe that opportunity comes sooner rather than later. Um but I don't, I don't think it's a bad deal for either team. It's just a matter of how much draft capital. And then I think my follow-up question to that would be, what does Boston do at the point guard position? Do you start Marcus Smart? Because, you know, they've already got Marcus Smart rumors starting. You know, Dallas potentially is an, a destination if they're interested. So, I don't know. I, I think on paper, I think in terms of any, money, it makes sense. the any deal you're going to make that
0: involves Kemba Walker, it's going to raise point guard questions. I think you just have to accept that. And that's something that you deal with after moving on from that Kemba Walker contract. If you think there is a world where they think keeping Kemba is more beneficial than moving him. But I do think Al Horford's an option. I think as well, something that could entice Oklahoma with the amount of draft capital they have, having Kemba for that extra year sounds terrible. But you also have have an ability to dangle an expiring contract on that last year of Kemba for a team that's going to be blowing it up. You know, you can say, "Hey, here's a million picks, in basically in Oklahoma's, uh, but we'll also give you a, a massive expiring contract, so you're going to be players in the upcoming free agency, and we'll take this star off your hands—the theoretical star that all GMs basically stuck these draft picks for, right? So, Kemba, it also gives you matching salary for one of those stars because generally, when a star becomes available, you need to match the salary." So you say, hey, here's Kemba Walker an expiring 37 million at the end of the year, plus four future firsts, a couple of pick swaps and a future, couple of future seconds. It's really enticing for a team who stars walking out the door and they're being forced into a rebuild because of that. So I think there's value in having that extra year on Kemba's contract for Oklahoma for that reason. I don't know whether they'd do what they did with Hawford and basically say to Kemba, like, hey, you're not really going to play too much. You're just going to be in like... um an ambassadorial player development mentor role. At which point, you know, unfortunately, I just don't think that's very fair on Kemba because when he's not injured, he's still one of the more talented guards in the league. Unfortunately, we're just not seeing that in Boston. So I do like the idea. I think Horford coming back to Boston as well, having him play back up to Rob Williams, playing him at the four a little bit alongside Tristan Thompson, just to create that bit of spacing that you don't really have with that second unit you bring Thompson on and you sit Tatum and Brown and where's the spacing coming from on that unit. Then you're relying on Neesmith and Pritchard that are both solid three point scorers, but they haven't got enough body of work in the bank to command a level of gravity that somebody like Hawford would, because you have to worry about the passing. You have to worry about the three point shooting and you have to worry about anything that comes off like a, a, a dribble handoff into a short roll creation sort of scenario. So there's, A lot you have to worry about with Al Horford that could make that double big lineup a little bit more palatable, and because he's just an upgraded version of Daniel Tice in that skill set, you know, no disrespect to Daniel Tice. I love Daniel Tice, but I, I do like it, but I also don't at the same time. Like you left to chase a ring, it hasn't worked out for you. You can come back and help us kind of go through this stuff rebuild. I'm just not sure what the optics of that really look like. But with Brad Stevens in the front office, making that sort of move geared towards continuity, system understanding, and getting that defensive presence that helps you, like who anchored one of the best defenses in the league for multiple seasons, isn't exactly a bad decision to make.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's not like it's like a return exactly to what it was before, but you're adding in a guy, yeah, who's going to be a defensive stalwart you kind of need someone to come in and set that tone for you. And for someone to come in into a system that they're already familiar with is going to help. I I do think like the optics of it are, we have a free agent that didn't turn out. You signed somewhere else. It didn't turn out well for you. You got dumped to another team, but we'll gladly take you back with open arms. I mean, the one thing I will say is Jalen Brown and Jason Datum talked to him after the Thunder game and they were very amicable and they clearly have a lot of respect for Al Horford still. So, I, I don't think that should be understated. And I think I think it goes without saying that any kind of any kind of trade or any other move that's happening right now, especially because Stevens is very much new at this. He's super green. Um, they're gonna run it by Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Like they're gonna talk to those guys and see what they feel comfortable with and what makes sense for the team. I, I don't hate the move. I think that there might be another option out there. I think if anything, you're you're taking on a guy that you know will fit and you're just kind of taking a dice roll and like, okay, well, I think we'll be better with Al Horford than we will we will be with Kemba Walker. And
0: I think that's a fair assumption to make. At least Al Horford has uh, a proven kind of sturdy sturdiness to him. You know he's not going to miss that many games. At the moment, the biggest issue is Kemba Walker can put up points, but he's been very inconsistent in that regard in terms of... Um, going cold due to lack of rhythm more than anything, but also he's a defensive liability. And even more importantly, he cannot stand the floor. Bringing in someone like Al Horford that can give you some creation, give you some sturdiness, some reliability and anchor that defense. That, that to me screams value. And it's something that I'd be very intrigued in. Now, another name that got brought up and it got brought up in locker room last week. We had a few discussions. I was listening to Locked On Celtics today. Um, John Corralis brought up the same name. And by today, I mean Tuesday. Obviously, this episode's out on Wednesday. So yesterday, if anyone was listening. Uh, And a name that's been brought up a a bunch recently is CJ McCollum. Under the assumption that, you know, Portland are going to decide to blow it up. And it's something that I've looked at. I've also looked at ideas for Dame as well, because you're stupid if you don't. And I'll touch on both. So the idea is that Portland now have moved on from Terry Stutz. They're a team that, you know, they're realising that the current roster line rotation they have just isn't going to get it done. And they're, they're an option to blow things up in the offseason. they Their three-star primary players, in my opinion, Dame CJ Nurkic. Now, if you're talking about acquiring Dame Lillard, then the first thing you need to understand is that is not going to happen unless you're giving up Jalen Brown. I don't care how many times you want to scream blue in your face if Dame says he only wants to come to Boston. That doesn't make a difference. It really doesn't. Kawhi said to the Spurs he only wants to go to LA and he found himself in Canada. Like It doesn't matter. what. you It's true. You you have to understand that the player can want what he wants, but the team holds the contracts so the team holds the cards at that point. So if you want Dame Lillard, here's an idea that I had. I'm not sure if it works. Tim's got the trade machine open ready to that confirm they do. or deny. <laughs> so... Campbell Walker plus Jalen Brown. And then obviously you can throw in some picks if you want to throw in a young guy, say, um, throw in Romeo Langford or Aaron Neesmith for Damian Lillard and Yusuf Nurkic. Uh,
1: it does not work because uh, the Blazers would be over the luxury tax threshold with the deal. So let me adjust it. Yeah, see, here's the thing. they, And this is the issue that it comes down to. And this is also part of the reason why I don't think a Jalen Brown deal makes sense. And I mean, obviously, like from a talent perspective of like, yeah, you want to keep Jalen Brown. He's one of your young building blocks. He's a he's a cornerstone for this team. You're not going to be able to move Kemba Walker and Jalen Brown in the same deal unless you're moving it for two max contracts. And that's what it comes down to. So the only way that is even going to work financially because of Portland, because of the where they're at financially, would be if you're doing outright doing Dame Lillard, CJ McCollum for Kemba Walker and Jalen Brown. That's the only way that works. Yeah, and
0: that's not going to happen. No, there's no way. No. The thing is, anybody that wants Dame has got to realize that Dame has got four more seasons on his contract, and his final year is going to be close to fifty million dollars. Like, yeah, it's a ridiculously large contract, and you're not going. Portland are going to have so many offers on their table for someone like Dame that Kemba Walker isn't even going to hit their radar. They're going to laugh you out of the room. It needs to. It would have to be a Jalen Brown deal. Now, CJ McCollum's a little bit different. You could structure a deal and say to Portland, hey, you take on Kemba's contracts, but what we're going to do in return is we're going to give you a couple of young pieces. We're going to throw you a couple of future firsts. And then what we're going to do is we're going to run Romeo Langford or we're going to have Jason Tatum as our primary point forwards. And then we're going to have CJ playing the two with Marcus Smart as the de facto one. Like there's ways that you can fit CJ McCollum into this um, system. But again, that's just adding another scorer when the biggest issue is the need for a facilitator.
1: I think financially, I don't know if they could add any more except if it's just draft draft capital or if uh, if Portland's giving up more just because Campbell Walker for C.J. McCollum one-for-one one works, but obviously that wouldn't be the deal. It would have to be more assets. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that goes without saying. I think, yeah, I mean, they, they, they would have to probably include another contract even if it's just dead money. Um, like if it's uh, Harry Giles maybe. Um, but I, I think he's either signed for one more year or he's an expiring. I think he's got one more year in his deal um, that he signed with them. So maybe that's, you know, maybe it turns into a Walker kneesmith for Giles and McCollum that works in the trade machine. Um, and obviously the Giles connection for Duke. I know that Jason Tatum, uh, it's a guy he's very fond of because he used to play with him. Um, so maybe that's a chance. I mean, look, I, I think the, the deal is, if you're trying to move Kemba Walker and you're also looking at Dame Lillard, the only way that that is even going to happen is, like you said, one of two things has to happen. Well, multiple things have to happen. Let me let me rephrase that. Um, one, you need Dame Lillard to demand a trade. Two, you need Dame Lillard to name Boston as a destination. And three, you either need to find a team that could provide talent that the Blazers want and will take on Kemba Walker in return or you need to find a way to unload Kemba Walker and figure out the young pieces on the fly because you don't go ahead and you move Jalen Brown for Dame Lillard if you're not moving on from Kemba Walker. Like Kemba Walker has to be gone in one way or another because you're not going to play Lillard and Walker together. Like The whole idea is that you're bringing in Lillard to take Mm -hmm. Kemba Walker's place, and if you're going to do that, then you absolutely need to find a way to make that work in terms of talent. Because you can't you can't run out those you can't run out Lillard Walker, um, and, and Tatum together like that's just not going to happen. So it, it gets really sloppy when you think about that. I I never even registered C J McCollum as a potential target. I actually think that's a really good idea if you're trying to find a way to make that work. If you're trying to pick the bones of Portland because they're they're in a bad spot right now. So first of all, Harry Joles is only on a one-year deal.
0: He's unrestricted at the end of this year. Just putting that out there, not to take a dig at you, simply just because obviously we want the information to be factual. Of course. I mean, for me, I feel like Lillard makes more sense than McCollum. Adding another scorer like McCollum, who's not really going to give you much creation, who isn't really going... He's going to improve your team drastically, but is he going to put you in championship contention? But the other question is... Dame Lillard deserves to be going to a team with two more stars, right? Like, is Dame Lillard going to be able to do more in Boston with Jason Tatum next to him than what he could in Portland with CJ? That's the first question you need to ask, right? Because he's going from a two-star scenario, and in this idea where Jalen Brown has to be the make-weight in the deal, he's coming to Boston in a two-star scenario. So there's questions around how effective that duo can be together. I personally think they could work really well, but Boston need to find a way of bringing in somebody else. Maybe try and do a deal where you send Marcus Smart and somebody over to um, Indiana to bring in Malcolm Brogdon. And now you have like a, a Brogdon at two guard, a Tatum at three or four with Dame Lillard. Do we feel better about that than we do about Kemba, Jason and Jalen? There's ways that you can manipulate things. And obviously, It's never that simple. Teams have to agree to it on both sides. It's not 2K. We don't have the override button. But I do like the idea of McCollum as a possibility. I mean, beyond those three names, all I really have then is options to kind of dump the contract. You know? Like, can you try and figure a way to dump him onto New York? Probably not. New York are going to be worried, as you mentioned earlier, Tim, before we came on air. New York are going to be concerned with what to do with Julius Randle. They have all of a sudden their ownership team this year has done nothing but make smart decision after smart decision. Why on earth would you take a year's worth of growth and then bring Campbell Walker into that mix? You know what I mean? When you could be trying to find somebody with a bit more reliability yourselves as you try and build on your first playoff appearance since children before, since we were children. Uh, Do you want to go to San Antonio? Is there a way where you can make that happen? Possibly. I mean, what other teams did we say had cap space? We've got the Thunder we spoke about. The Raptors could probably get there if they wanted to, to replace Cole Lowry, if they decide to let him leave. The Hornets could maybe want to do it and bring Kemba back, but I can't see it happening now. They've got Lamelo
1: Ball and um, Gordon Hayward both playing point. The Magic, but I mean, Magic went ahead and did like a full full full-blown rebuild. I mean, Grizzlies don't make sense. Rockets don't make sense either. Then you're getting down to the Kings who have got... 10.6 in practical cap space. So it it just gets more and more difficult the further you go down. Um, I I, I think if one team that would make sense in terms of they might be trying to add more, and it, it also depends on how the rest of the playoffs go, but maybe there's something potentially there with the Clippers. If you're trying to find multiple pieces, instead of trading it one for one where you're trying to get another star or you're taking on a big contract in return, you're taking on Multiple smaller deals. Maybe it's a deal for you know Pat Beverly and McMorris, or and I'm like and then you're getting into the situation of okay, I'm not only am I trying to get rid of Kemba Walker's contract, but I am actively taking on multiple players, and then you're looking at the roster crunch situation. So it, it starts to get more complicated when it stops being a one for one deal or you know two for two. It's I have it, a trade
0: that I've just came up with just to cut you up.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. I, and I like this. So it would be
0: Kemba Walker, Christian Thompson, Aaron Niesmith. three future firsts, two pick swaps in two seconds. Okay? Okay, and, okay. <laughs> and the Celtics get Damian Lillard and Yusuf Nurkic. And that works. The money works on that deal. Okay, run that back again one more time so my brain can absorb it. Okay, so the Blazers get Christian Tom- Thompson, Kemba Walker, Aaron Neesmith, And then, you know, just a bunch of draft capital. And the Celtics get Lillard and Nurkic. Where do I sign? (laughs) I I mean, that's, that's the best case deal for Boston. That is not the best-case deal for Portland. We need to stress that. And from a Celtic standpoint, that is the best possible trade you can make. You upgrade the point guard position. You upgrade the center position. You, you, you lose a young guy in Neesmith, but you create more opportunity for Romeo. Or you, can, you can't you can do it the other way around because Romeo is going on to a player option. So until that's dealt with, you know it's not really possible. So it would have to be Neesmith. But you create more opportunities for your other young wing, and you move on. You, know, you use this year's first. You use 2023's first, 2025, put some pick swaps in there, try and sweeten the deal where you can, but that would be the only way to make that deal work, and that would benefit Boston far more than what it would benefit Portland.
1: Yeah, but I I, I think if Portland's blowing it up too, I mean they've they they're kind of stuck in this middle ground, right? They've been a middling team for a while, regardless of how good Dame Lillard's been, um, regardless of some of their other guys and how they've performed. Like even just take stats out of the equation as well. Like this is a team that has failed to meet expectations, internal expectations, for a long time. So it does get to a certain point, and it's kind of crazy because this all sort of started with Dame Lillard's Instagram post. Like what like basically is like how soon is now? Like how soon are things going to change? What's going to change going forward? Can we improve? And it might come to a breaking point. You know, it, it there comes a time where if Dame Lillard's unhappy, and they don't really have any methods or means of improving without seriously shelling off pieces, then it might be time to pull the plug in Portland because they're they're not a free agency destination, like they really aren't. Which this is also gets down to the small market debate with a lot of teams in terms of keeping stars. Like Dame Lillard has this massive contract, and he's still unhappy because ultimately at the end of the day like some guys yeah they care about the money other guys they want to win they want to win championships they want to play for a team and win so it, it it's it's a difficult situation like i do not envy any of portland's front office right now cuz they really there really is no winning here like even if they get a really good deal for dame lillard it's still a loss because you're going to have to start from scratch like that that's the thing as soon as lillard's gone like you're you're going from the ground up And that's the problem with
0: most teams when they lose stars, which is why I thought that having Kemba on a team like um, Oklahoma is beneficial. So you can handle those those um, expiring deals. So you know you're like, hey, you're not really this this year's free agency class isn't that great, but take Kemba for the year. And when he expires, obviously we're talking about the future here. You're going to have some opportunities to make some moves in the free agency market. I think that there's a lot of options available to the Celtics, but not a lot of them make a ton of sense if we're being quite honest. So I think we need to kind of be really understanding that this, that this trade can be trade might be something that doesn't happen until the trade deadline. It might be something that doesn't happen at all. It might be something that happens as early as the day that teams can make trades again. We just don't know where things stand at the moment. And there's always going to be interest from teams we don't perceive to be interested. Another team might think that they can manage his injuries a lot better than what Boston have. They might have more faith in their like physiotherapy and training team and medical staff than, and think that they can fix Kemba Walker's issues long-term and he could be a very valuable guy. But right now, he is the hottest topic on the Celtics uh, roster. And I think that... You know, those three options we've gave, Al Horford, Chris Stapps Porzingis, CJ McCollum slash Dame Lillard are the most realistic, not Dame Lillard, Dame Lillard is not realistic, CJ McCollum is. Um, So, you know, CJ, Porzingis, Horford are the three most realistic, while Dame Lillard can be your pipe dream. I don't think there's any other players out there that fit the salary requirements that would also be available that would also come to Boston. Other than that, you're dumping Kemba onto a team like New York and giving them a young guy and some draft picks to sweeten the deal. Same would be said for somewhere like San Antonio. They would probably do that because, you know, Pop likes his vets and then give them somebody like a, like a Smith or a Grant Williams, I think would be great in San Antonio playing under Popovich. Uh, I think there's options to do that as well, but then you're,
1: are you are you are realistically just weakening your team. Agreed, yeah. I don't think there's really... There's no ideal trade out there. Like A lot of it's just going to be depending on how other things shake out. I think if you're moving on from Kemba Walker, you definitely have to have... This goes without saying, but you definitely have to have some kind of long-term plan. I don't think you're going to go ahead and strap a bunch of picks to him in order to move him unless it's for a piece that you are comfortable with on your roster for a long time. I mean, Al Horford's probably the only one. I don't know how many picks it would cost. Probably not more than three in my mind. I don't think it would cost that much, maybe one or two, but again, this is all, we have to really see how this shakes out. I still think with the way that things went this past season, maybe they will give him a little bit more time to get back into the swing of things. He was dealing with that bone bruise. Don't know how far that set him back. So, I guess from Boston's perspective, it's a matter of just waiting and seeing how things unravel. And that pretty much wraps us up. I mean, we've looked at the
0: the ideas available to us at the moment, the ones being floated around. We've gave you our opinions. Hopefully you will give us your opinions nicely. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Uh, And then obviously the usual stuff. If you've enjoyed this show, then I would very much appreciate you going onto your Apple device, scrolling down to where it says, leave a review. Hitting the five stars and typing something very nice. Nice little blurb. It makes my day. They do pop up. I do check them quite regularly. And I enjoy seeing the, the rating improving and the nice things being said. If you didn't like the show, I would much rather you DM me um, or email me and let me know what you didn't like so we could fix that rather than leaving a bad review i feel like i'm quite um receptive to any changes or anything extra you'd like implemented so if you want to do that feel free my email is attached to my celtics blog profile and you can also find it on my link tree in my twitter tim do you want to let them know where they can find you bro
1: uh you can find me on twitter at tim Shields Um, currently with CLNS as an intern, as well as doing some stuff on the side for Substack um, for the Clover Disclosure. Um, And that's where you're going to find me on Twitter, occasionally NBA posting (laughs) as the season goes on. So um, look for me there.
0: All right, everybody, you can catch us again on Friday where I have no idea what we'll be talking about, but it's most likely going to be some draft content because the draft is now coming and we've already spoke about coaches I feel like we could just be on that carousel for the next few weeks I want to try and avoid that as best as possible so catch us again on Friday thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of the Celtics pod and that's us cheers
1: I you I ain't sweating y'all testing my patience never did it for a check I've been impressed with the